You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. This program is coming to you via the Community Radio Network, via the studios of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. This program is... Streaming live on 3cr.org.au, the program is podcast. What Anarchy is all about? <clears throat> a very simple concept. Anarchos without rulers. We're about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to mobilise hundreds of thousands of people to sacrifice their lives in the struggle to take over another nation-state? Simple inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to break down hierarchical divisions to create a society based on direct democratic principles so that no individual or small group has the power to determine the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. It's also the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good because you may find this a bit hard to believe. Australia's 47 billionaires, yeah, we have 47 of them, that's a lot of billionaires, have actually doubled their wealth in the last 10 years, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. So it's about, it's that struggle, to share power, share wealth. So if you're involved in a struggle to devolve power, break down hierarchy, share wealth, well, then you're an anarchist. I'm sorry. You've got the mark of Cain tattooed on your forehead because that's what anarchism is all about. Go back to first principles. All right, let's move on. Now, today, I'm afraid I'm going to beat my own drum. And people say, well, that's not new, is it, Joe? Well, (laughs) we're going to do our be realistic, demand the impossible, let them eat cake. Joseph Toscano's independent Victorian Senate candidate campaign. Now, just in case you've just listened to the program, I'm doing a campaign launch on the steps of the old Victorian Treasury building at the corner of Spring and Collins Street <clears throat> at midday on one to 1pm 1 on Thursday the 5th of May. And the reason I use the term let them eat cake is the problem in Australia today isn't the size of the cake, but how the cake is divided. It's that simple. That is the problem. When you look at the Australian cake, it's a little bit like going to a birthday party, you know. You get a little bit iffy at a birthday party. A lot of people 
jostling around the birthday cake to get a piece. And if somebody gets a bigger piece, you kind of get feel a little bit <coughs> left out and a little bit annoyed. Well, if you look at the Australian cake and how it's divided, you would be exceptionally annoyed. You'd be livid. Now, if you get a cake and you divide it, 40% of the Australian cake belongs to 1% of the population. You like that? 40% belongs to 1%. Another 25 to 30% belongs to 10% of the Australian population. That's already almost 70% of the cake belongs to 10% of the population. Then we have the great bulk of the Australian people. You know, we've got about, you know, around 60% who have access to about 25% of the cake. And then we have the 30% who have access to 1% of the Australian cake. And that's the problem. Now, we're told constantly in this country that we live in an egalitarian community. The problem is how to create wealth. We have wealth. The problem isn't, cre- isn't creation of wealth. The problem is how it's divided. Now, I know I, I use this example regularly over the last few weeks, but I'll, I'll use it again to highlight the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. Now, in Australia today... We have 25 million people, plus or minus a few tens of thousands, 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent, okay? 25 million on a resource-rich continent, and I'll use the word continent. Now, if we look at Bangladesh, which is a country I've got a little bit of experience about, you've got 170 million people living on a floodplain, which is about two-thirds the size of Victoria. And not only that, over the last two to three years, they've taken in over a million Rohingya refugees from Myanmar, their neighbours. They haven't shot them as they cross the borders or locked them up for 10 years. And although the average wage is $350 a year, and they have 170 million people on this small floodplain, two-thirds the size of Victoria, they took in these refugees. Look at us. 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent. We have 1.2 million children living in poverty. I'll repeat those numbers again. 25 million people, 1.2 million people living in poverty. Then we have 47 people have more wealth in this country, and this includes our little mate, Mr Palmer, the head of the Disunited United Party, Australia Party, whatever they call themselves. Can't even be bothered to remember the name. You know, 47 people have 40% of the wealth in this country. 47 people. And at the other end, we have one third of the Australian population 
living on less than $500 per week. Around $500 per week. Anybody on any type of disability support pension, old age pension, um, student allowance, the list goes on and on, less than $500 a week. And then we have the 60% of the population which provide most of the taxation revenue in this country, the pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, having access to about 25% of this country's wealth. And the biggest growing section of the Australian workforce is the working poor. You like that? It's like the 19th century. This is what the digital economy is all about. You go to work, you work your butt out, and at the end of the day, you haven't got enough to meet your bills. The working poor. And now of increasing interest rates, which will continue to increase in order to, you know, put the economy, economy as if it's some living entity, back on the thing. You've got, you know, you've got increasing pressure on many people who've got taken out huge loans on properties. I'll give you an example of what's happened over the last 40 years or so. In 1982, I had the good fortune to be able to put a deposit on a house in Richmond. And the cost of the house was $42,000. That's 1982. Now, in 2016, now, I sold that house years ago, but in 2016... That same house, no renovations, no changes, sitting on the ground in Richmond, sold for $1.2 million. That's a 40-fold increase in housing prices over a 40, roughly a 40-year period. So houses doubled every year. Have wages doubled every year? Of course not. Because what's happened is what should be access to a basic necessity has now become the plaything of an investment class who use this country's investment-friendly laws to augment their income. Think about it. Now, I think I'm reasonably tough and I've been around a long time and I've seen a lot of shit in my life. I've been kicked around. But every time I see the Smith family ad on television or hear it on radio or see it on social media I have a little tear well up in my eyes here I am, three score and ten been a radical activist since I was 15 for 55 years struggled all that time and Five and a half decades later, we have private charities, which I've got nothing against the Smith family, I'm sure they're wonderful people, raising money from Australian people in order to send Australian children to public schools. Think about it. Think about it. We lock up refugees as collective punishment because the audacity to come here by boat for nine years while the people of Bangladesh 
170 million people on a tiny slither of land take in a million refugees over a six-month period. Extraordinary. What an extraordinary nation we've become. So that was the impetus. That was the impetus to throw my hat into the electoral ring. Now, so why am I standing as an ungrouped, independent Victorian Senate candidate when I have, and I'm not stupid, and you're not stupid. If you were stupid, you wouldn't be listening to this program. When I have a snowball's chance in hell of having my $2,000 deposit refunded. That's right. cost me two grand out of my pocket, which I could have used for something else, for the privilege of standing as an ungrouped Senate candidate, let alone have any chance of being elected as a Victorian senator. Why bother? Well, I'll tell you why I bother. I bother not because I believe in the parliamentary democracy, because there's nothing more inane than parliamentary democracy, especially in a country where real power doesn't lie in parliament. It lies in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations. But because I still believe that elections should be a contest of ideas. And unfortunately, during this election campaign and post-election campaigns and future election campaigns, which are dominated by the government gelded ABC and to a greater extent the corporate-owned media, ideas are few and far between. I mean, every journey, as you know, starts with a first step. And even the mighty Victorian Mount Nash that can grow over 100 metres tall and live for over 300 years commences its journey as a one millimetre seed. The policies I'll be outlining during this programme, if you get bored, please move on. Don't waste your time listening if you're bored. The policies I'll be outlining in this programme, which I am standing for, are designed to ensure the cake in Australia is more evenly divided. Very simply, 47 individuals own 40% of the country's wealth. 1% of in, uh, 30% of individuals own 1% of the country's wealth. 10% of individuals, the investment class, those with disposable income to get involved in the stock market and the housing market and get franking credits and negative gearing and all those wonderful things, 25% of the wealth and the rest fight over 25 to 30%. Now, increasing inequality in Australia, and nobody can deny we have increasing inequality in this country. As I said before, when that Smith family ad comes up telling me something I know, that 1.2 million children live in poverty and we need to raise money in order to send them to public schools, which are supposedly publicly paid for. So we've got increasing inequality. And on top of that, we have a climate emergency. Going back to my Victorian Mount Nash analogy, The Victorian Mount Ash, Ash is the tallest flowering tree 
in the world. And the key is flowering tree. And its seed is encased in a thick, hard kernel, which needs a fire in order to release the seed, a major fire to release the seed. It's the same in this country. Things are hotting up. All the problems associated with climate emergency, which we're beginning to see in terms of increasing floods, cyclones, and this goes on and on, and increasing inequality, is the very fire that is needed to liberate that seed, that tiny seed. And this campaign is based exactly on the same concept. Unless we're realistic and demand what seems to be the impossible, nothing will ever change. The seeds that I'm sowing today in the policies which I'll be outlining may initially fall on barren ground, but as growing inequality in this country and the climate emergency force us as a people and a nation to change direction, it's possible the seeds encapsulated in these policies will be liberated and have an impact on Australian society. So the whole purpose of standing is to raise these issues, to raise these policies, to put forward policies which no other political party or independent is putting forward. Policies which tackle the scourge of growing inequality and the dangers associated with doing nothing regarding the climate emergency. Now, look, I've been around a long time. I've got the desire, the experience, the strength, the capacity to ensure that some of these seeds will be planted among the Australian people today. Whether they're planted via this campaign or another campaign, the reality is that we need new ideas and, more importantly, we need to implement these new ideas. If we want to be the Ukraine of the Pacific, of the South Pacific, then let's continue the to hang on to the coattails of Uncle Sam and get involved in some proxy war on behalf of the United States government with the Chinese government in the very near future because that's the direction we're heading in if we don't look at different ways of living. All right. Now, the great thing about these policies is, whether you think it's a great thing or not, I don't know, is the fact they're actually funded. Not only are we talking about policies, but we're going to talk about how to fund them. Now, those 47 people who own 40% of the wealth in this country and those 8 to 9%, which you know, are part of the investment class, may not be happy with these policies, and they're not designed to make them happy. They're not designed to curry favour with the Murdoch media and the other corporate-owned media. They're not designed to curry favour with the muzzled government girl at ABC. They're designed to stimulate thinking 
and get people thinking in a manner to overcome the desperation, the despair and the disappointment and the discontent and dislocation which will cause a great deal of problems in this country if we do not tackle the climate emergency and growing inequality. So as I said before, the problem isn't the size of the cake in Australia. The problem is how the cake is divided. Don't let anybody tell you that it's about increased productivity, it's about lowering wages, it's about removing regulations that protect working people and protect the environment. No. The cake is there. It's how it's divided. First policy, universal basic income, a very simple concept. Every person in the country gets a basic income. You get rid of the idea of needing some centralised government authority to decide who is worthy and who is not worthy of a pension. It's a universal basic income which takes care of people's needs. In the 21st century, we don't need everybody to be involved in the wage system as a wage slave in order for the country to survive. So, they say, Joe, are you going to give that universal basic income to one of those billionaires? And I said, I'm quite happy to do that. Because those people who wish to live on a universal basic income do so, and those who wish to work do so. And those who work obviously will be paying taxation, and as their income increases, the amount of universal basic income they have decreases through the taxation system. So obviously at the end of the year, those billionaires, that universal basic income they receive will come back to the Treasury. So what a universal basic income does... It decreases violence. I know this sounds a bit ridiculous. It decreases family, domestic violence because it gives individuals within a family the ability to live independently of somebody who controls them because most control is a financial control. It's not just physical but financial a universal basic income frees people who are talented, who don't want to be part of the wage system, who need to survive, who are artistically inclined. It allows them to develop themselves to their fullest potential. And a universal basic income isn't something new. It existed during the Roman Empire, during the bread and circuses periods, when the plebeians were not needed. Anymore, not because of technology, but because of slavery. All the slaves that poured into the Roman Empire from their conquests, they weren't needed, but they were a nuisance. They were a nuisance. So, bread and circuses, 220 public holidays, Colosseum, subsidised food, subsidised housing, were all part of their universal basic income. A universal basic income is a panacea for peace in society. Secondly, well, we realise we're in a climate emergency and we're seeing the rise and rise of green capitalism, which is centralised energy production through massive solar farms, massive wind farms. Having a centralised energy system still is, is a major issue because it means that, again, a small number of people 
controls energy. What I'm about is cooperative green energy, a decentralised energy system. And we've seen this begin to occur across the country. But the problem is seeding funding, and seeding funding should be provided by the government of the day, and I'll explain how that can be provided later on. Now, the way forward, as far as cars, trucks and all that is concerned, is electric cars. Why don't we establish an Australian publicly owned electric car industries which produces vehicles which are suited to the Australian environment and climate? This could also be an export industry. It's not just about establishing, you know, massive solar farms and massive wind farms which are owned by a tiny minority. It is about establishing a publicly owned electric car industries which can provide cars at reasonable prices. Now, a lot of people think the way you tackle the climate emergency is through green capitalism, solar energy, wind energy, water energy. The fact is, the increase in human population and we're over 7.5 billion today. Some people say 7.9 billion. We're in an economy which is based on the satisfaction of real, not, ma- not manufactured human needs. Now, look at our Australian society. We have a lot of manufactured human needs, but we can't even seem to satisfy the real human needs of significant sections of the population. Because it's all about, it's an economy which is based on making a profit. Making a profit, not on satisfying real human needs like access to healthcare, access to housing, access to a reasonable, good, healthy food supply, access to a public arts sector, access to energy, and the list goes on and on. But what we're interested in is manufactured human needs, the latest shoes, this brand of perfume, that brand of perfume. It goes on and on. So we need to change the way we live and consume. I'd also like to see an establishment of a cooperative collective arm of the economy to guarantee real competition between the private, public and cooperative collective sector. Today, we have an economy which is dominated by the private sector. The privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation revolution has reduced the public sector to an insignificant sector of the economy. This allows the private sector, to dominate the marketplace. I'll give you an example. I got a letter yesterday. Yes, I refuse to get emails from corporations. Sent me a letter telling me that a loan I have, a business loan I've had for 30 years, will increase by a half a percent at the end of May. Think of that. It's already around 9.9%. It's an unsecured loan. It will increase by half a percent. Didn't the Reserve Bank yesterday increase uh, 
interest rates by 0.25%? Well, obviously, these privately owned banks, which have no competition because they're basically you know, on the same playing field, decides, well, let's double the interest rate you know, for the, our business loans. Let's double the interest rate increase so we can make an extra profit and have another brilliant profit at the expense of the community. So a lot of the policies revolve around re-establishing a private a public sector, a publicly owned bank, publicly owned essential services, a publicly owned serum laboratory. Look at the situation we found ourselves in where we put the Morrison-led government put their money on the wrong horse. AstraZeneca gave a billion dollars to a private corporation, the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, which has been lost. Extraordinary. So if we had our own serum laboratory, which was kindly privatised by Mr Keating, well then we wouldn't be in that situation. We would have been in the race to produce vaccines. And we also need a publicly owned pharmaceutical industry. Constantly we are totally dependent on the private pharmaceutical sector in order to have access to medications which are essential for so many Australians. So a cooperative arm, and I'll speak about how to fund that, a cooperative arm to the economy creates competition. People don't join cooperatives to get rich. Nobody in a cooperative ever gets rich. Nobody in a cooperative will ever be a billionaire or a millionaire. But cooperatives allow people to have a decent income and produce goods and services which are required by the uh, people of this country. Everybody talks about small business. Everybody's the small business person's friend. And And the tragedy is so many small business think the Liberal National Party is the way forward. The reality is 90% of small businesses which are established in this country no longer exist after five years. They cannot compete with a corporate-controlled marketplace. For example, two or three major corporations dominate 80% of food production, food distribution in this country. be illegal in the United States of America antitrust laws. So how do we help small business at the same time? How do we destroy the scourge of non-unionised, part-time, unsecure work in the population? 40% of Australians, a significant majority of those 40% young people, are part of the increasing number of working poor in this country, who are basically said to be individual contractors who are on in unsecured part-time work. So how do we assist small business to compete against the corporate sector and how do we assist working people to actually get a decent wage and full-time work? Well, you increase the taxation threshold of micro-businesses to $70,000. So if you run a business by yourself and you employ nobody, you don't pay any taxes until you've got a $70,000 profit. And you can increase the taxation threshold of businesses that employ 10 or fewer employees 
by $25,000 for every full-time employee who is paid award wages or above award wages. And that, that's the key. Full-time employees who is paid award wages or above award wages. Which means if you employ 10 people in a small business, you don't have to start paying taxes till after you've got a profit of $300,000. Think about it. Now, the climate emergency will create disasters. And I've been involved in a fire and I've been involved in two floods. Not as a spectator, but as somebody who's basically been at the receiving end. And I can tell you, after a few weeks, nobody gives a shit. It's your problem and your problem alone. And that's the people who were involved in the fires in 2019 and the people who've been involved in the floods this year and the people involved in cyclones the year before are finding. After two to three weeks, maybe a month, Nobody gives a shit. And all that money, which has been promised by governments at the state and federal level, and that's money that's been raised privately, hardly goes anywhere to addressing any of those issues. So what I'd like to see, because climate emergency means just that, It means more floods, more cyclones, more erosion, more fires, more pandemics as the temperature increases and the list goes on and on. More deaths due to increasing temperatures. What I'd like to see is the establishment of 50 regional and urban disaster centres that are fully staffed and equipped to manage the increasing number of disasters caused by the climate emergency. These regional centres could have accommodation network incorporated into them. They'd have uh, equipment and they'd be ready to deal with disasters. Not piecemeal as we see today. No criticism meant for the State Emergency Service. No criticism is meant for the services that are, av- that are available now, but they are not enough. They were not designed to deal with a climate emergency. And obviously you'd have a coordination centre, a disaster coordination centre in Canberra. I mean, remember the pandemic still going on, the COVID-19 pandemic? We don't even have a, a pandemic coordination centre. That's right. Piecemeal, piecemeal piecemeal response you're faced with an emergency you deal with it you have to get ready to deal with it if you can't insure privately you need some type of national insurance to encourage to ensure that people can get back on their feet think about this and i've been involved in this situation your house burns down you've got a mortgage the mortgage is bigger than the cost of the block of land it's on you're not insured or if you're insured the insurance company wiggles out of it which is not unusual as we've seen in Lismore with the floods you still have to pay that bloody mortgage and even if you sell that block of land at a loss you are still forced to pay the mortgage or go bankrupt how about this is a radical policy you know I've listened to the Governments and the opposition's housing policies, which will affect about 10,000 people, why not house every Australian who cannot afford 
to buy a home in public housing through a spot purchasing program? You want to decrease housing prices? You want to ensure that people can enter the housing market? Well, then you increase public housing supply. Not only does it provide housing, it also puts downward pressure on the marketplace, forces investors out of the housing market, decreasing prices. Now, whether a house goes up or down is irrelevant if you only own one home or you're only paying off one home. It only is relevant when you're an investor and only 8% of Australians own more than one home. It's a problem for them, but it's not a problem for the rest of the community because at the end of the day, a house is a house is a house. And if you only own one, fair enough. And if you rent, well, this is a great chance to be to to be in a, a public housing. And I'm not talking about building huge monoliths, spot purchasing program across the country, regional, as well as a building program, urban, rural. It's a matter of a desire to deal with the problem, looking at it different ways. I'm not talking about community housing, affordable housing, social housing, or private concepts, but public housing, publicly owned, publicly managed. Migration policy. Now, we've got a wonderful migration policy. We steal the best and the brightest from developing nations. That's right. They train them. We steal them. Why not a migration policy based on a 50% quota for refugees and asylum seekers? The people who make the best migrants, not those who come here to make a buck, but those who come here to create a new life for themselves and their family. Why continue the collective punishment of asylum seekers and refugees in this country? Because the whole point of keeping people incarcerated for nine years for having the audacity to seek asylum and then to be told you'll never, 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 never be accepted in this country. It's very simple. The whole thing, it's collective punishment. Do we really as a nation believe in collective punishment? Will we punish every two-year-old blue-eyed child because we think they're the spawn of the devil? Of course not. So why do we use collective punishment as far as asylum seekers and refugees are concerned? Now, obviously, there's the old perennial, increasing public funding to public education. Why should we have private charities begging Australian citizens who pay taxes to give them money to send Australian children to public schools which are theoretically publicly funded? Let's increase funding to the public education sector and stop the increases in funding to the private education sector. If mum or dad want to give their kiddies a private education, let them pay for it. Increase funding to the public health sector by over 20% over a three-year period. Think about it. What's the most important thing in life? 
health. Remember Kerry Packer? Kerry Packer died of renal failure. Didn't matter how much money he had, he made the decision to end dialysis because he just couldn't stand it. I can name many billionaires and luminaries who've died. Didn't matter how much money they had. If you have an accident today, you're better off in a public hospital than a private hospital, I can assure you of that. And the key is, to a significant degree, the private health sector is about cherry-picking the easy cases. The public health sector looks after the difficult cases, so let's fund it adequately. Let's ensure that people have access in this country to health services. Let's stop the privatisation of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Wonderful idea, something I worked for for over 40 years because I've been involved in looking after people with profound physical disabilities now for all, over 40 years. And the greatest thing that happened was, as far as they were concerned and their families and friends, was the National Disability Insurance Scheme. What have we seen? It's become a, pro, it's become a cash cow for the private sector who are gouging the taxpayer. Think about it. Why not implement and go further? Implement all the recommendations of the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart. This is when representatives, sorry, delegates, not representatives, delegates of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities from across Australia met in Uluru and they had three simple requests. They weren't demands, they were requests. One, truth-telling. You can't move forward without telling the truth. Truth-telling. Two, a voice to Parliament. That's right. They had a de facto voice to Parliament before ATSEC was uh, disbanded, I think, by the Howard government. But a voice to Parliament, which is incorporated in the Australian Constitution. And that's the key, isn't it? It needs to be incorporated in the Australian Constitution, which means it needs a referendum. Because it's, if it's not incorporated in the Australian Constitution, the government of the day can, at any time, dissolve that body, as we saw with ATSIC. Like the government of the day can sell any public asset, and they've sold them willy-nilly, water, gas, electricity, airports, ports, the list goes on and on. Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, and the list goes on and on, because public assets be not, do not belong to the people. They belong to the government of the day. So let's look at these and begin negotiations for a series of treaties with this country's First Nations people to compensate them for their losses. Implement the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart. Let's roll back legislation that criminalises trade unions and trade unionists and removes the right to strike except outside designated enterprise bargaining agreement periods in this country today. We don't have a right to strike. You wonder why wages don't increase? You wonder why they don't increase? Very simple. We have a de-unionised, part-time, insecure workforce which doesn't collectively bargain. And why has this occurred? It occurred for two reasons. One, legislation which gives 
a criminal who imports a billion dollars of meth into this country more legal rights than a member of the CFMEU who does not have the right to silence. Think about it. And you think you've got the right to strike? You get involved in non-authorised strike. You like that non-authorised strike. And as an individual unionist, you can be fined $40,000 a day. And it happens. Let's break the monopoly the legacy media has on parliamentary's legislative agenda. Because the issue is, it's not a matter of, you know, the corporate sector and that 1% knocking on the door and saying, oh, well, we don't want this to happen. It's much more insidious than that. They set the agenda. We, we like to think that the social media is the be-all, end-all of everything, but it isn't. Social media, to a significant degree, is nothing more than a big advertising, you know, slab. It's just advertising. I mean, I use social media because you get a little bit of free access. The less information you put about yourself, the better off, because they, they feed on the information you give them. So, social media. The legacy media sets the agenda every day. Every time, and we saw this at the last federal election, when somebody even dares to raise some minuscule reform regarding negative gearing and franking credits, bang, it's the end of the world as we know it. Let's break their monopoly. Let's force them to sell their assets if they own more than 10% of media outlets in a particular state. In Queensland, to a significant degree, the situation you find they find themselves in today is directly linked to the fact there is only one national newspaper, and that is the Courier Mail, which continues, which a Murdoch outlet, which continues to promote a conservative, reactionary agenda. Break the monopoly of the legacy media. Let new players in to the uh, into the arena. I'm very concerned, not for myself, because I'm old, you know. I'm on the way out. Let's be realistic. I'm on the way out. Three score in ten. I'm dodging lighting, lightning bolts. You know, God's looking at me and she's saying, Joe, you've got your biblical three score in ten. Watch out. I'm after you. Okay? So I'm very concerned about our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I'm very concerned that we don't find ourselves in the situation the people of the Ukraine find themselves in, where they become the meat in the sandwich between a, in a proxy war between Russia and the United States of America. I mean, this is a situation which could have been negotiated, could have been negotiated, but the United States continued to push for a military solution and is currently financing the Ukrainian resistance. Think of the number of people who are dying needlessly. But my concern, obviously I'm very concerned about that situation, always concerned about imperialist aggression when one sovereign nation state attempts to take over another sovereign nation state, but I'm concerned for us here in Australia because the foreign policy we have been pursuing as a nation is based on the idea that there is two superpowers in the world 
There's, well, there's three, actually, but one's bogged down in the Ukraine. And somehow we've been rattling, listening to the Foreign Minister, Mr Dutton, the war sabres. 25 million people rattling a war sabre with the Chinese, provoking the Chinese panda, digging it in the ribs. Maybe if we continue this foreign policy, we will find ourselves in a situation where we become the Ukraine of the South Pacific, where Australia becomes the proxy war for the United States. And if you look at the United States' defence interests in this country and the increasing impact in this country, you'll begin to realise that what I'm saying is not so far-fetched. So I'm interested in developing independent foreign policy with a regional focus. We live here. You can't attach a tugboat to Australia and, you know, tug it across to the United States' west coast or east coast. We live here. We need to accommodate with our neighbours. We need to have an independent foreign policy and that means, to a significant degree, support for an independent West Papua, which is one of the closest nation states potential nation-states to us after Papua New Guinea. An independent foreign policy for regional focus and support for independent West Papua. It's no wonder that the Solomon Islands has signed a, uh, an agreement with China. And two more policies I'm interested in. Decriminalise drug use using the Portuguese model as a template. 70% of people in jails today which are, you know, Bulk, which are you know bulging at the seams, are there for non-violent drug use. That's right. Why not make it a health issue? The war on drugs, like the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the war in Vietnam, the war in Ukraine, which you're seeing now, will become monumental failures. So let's decriminalise drug use using the Portuguese model as a template. And let's hold citizens-initiated referendums to break the monopoly Parliament has on constitutional change. And if you think this is the type of thing Clive Palmer would like to dominate, let's look at the Swiss model. Now, you wouldn't call the Swiss the centre of uh, radical activity. Well, they're not. But they've had citizens-initiated referendums for decades and they've been able to conduct their affairs in such a way that the citizens have an input on legis- on what legislation uh, is. So let's give Parliament a little bit of competition. Let's pit the parliamentary representatives against the citizens of this country through citizens-initiated referendums. Now, how do we finance an Australian where an Australia where everybody has a fair share of the cake. Now, this is simple. This is simple. It doesn't need revolution, blood in the streets, you know, name-calling. Simple parliamentary legislation. 1% financial transaction tax on all financial transactions over $1,000. This would raise at least $120 to $130 billion per year. A 1% stock market transaction tax on every stock or share bought or sold on the Australian stock market. This would raise anywhere between 30 to $40 billion per year. 
70% tax on individuals and corporations exploiting Australia's rich mineral resources if their value of their investment is is more than $50 million. And publicly owned resource development. Publicly owned resource development from now on. Why give it to billionaires? And 1% of superannuation funds to be used as seeding funding for green energy cooperatives and collectives, public housing, and the establishment of a third arm of the economy by creating cooperatives and collectives. Be realistic. Demand the impossible. Ensure that everybody has a fair share of the Australian cake. Vote for yours truly. Now, if you want to come to the campaign launch, it's on tomorrow, Thursday the 5th of May, midday sharp on the steps of the old Victorian Treasury Building, corner of Spring and Collins Street. Bring a cake so we can divide it. Start baking now. Nice to have lots of cakes tomorrow. Very nice. And bring some coffee and tea also in flasks. Why not? So 12... I don't expect any media. It's gone out to all the media. Don't expect anybody there, but I expect you to be there. Bring your flags, bring your whatever. Come along. Let's have a, a campaign launch. Now, if you are interested in these ideas, you're interested in promoting these ideas, and you're interested in promoting my campaign as an independent Victorian Senate candidate, there is one thing you can do. Share the posts on the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. Share the posts. Keep sharing it. Share it, share it, share it, share it. Cyber nerds, cyber warriors, share the material. If you don't share the material, nothing will happen. This is a Senate campaign. It's not about handing out how-to-vote cards on Election Day. It's about sharing the material, letting people know there are alternatives, Let's plant some of these seeds and let's grow some Victorian mountain ashes. Let's ensure that what seems impossible today is, is, is realistic tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming from FreeCR in Melbourne, 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us, yes, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I spend at least an hour or two every week answering letters. You can email us at info at pipsy.net at anarchismedia.org. You go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Now, those of you who are wondering what's happening to the um, public housing vigils, they will recommence next week on the 12th. That's right. So thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week during this extraordinary Let Them Eat Cake section. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Brainwash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.